with perseverance so that there is a lifelong legacy of fire. How many, like me, have been around a little bit and you've seen um, people that come to Jesus and they're on fire? They would jump off the Empire State Building for Jesus. And then a few years later, they're gone. Nowhere to be found. Have, have anybody ever experienced that? See, I, I have over and over again and uh, just been doing this for a little while. That grieves me and it grieves the heart of the Father. He wants the passion and he wants the fire, but he doesn't want it to end in flames and an explosion. He wants that fire to be nurtured. He wants that fire to be tended. And he wants it to last throughout a whole lifetime. And so the other part of that spectrum is as, as we tend to get older, okay, not old. How many heard me? I, I didn't say old. As we tend to get older, the tendency is familiarity with the Lord, with services, with altar calls, with spiritual gifts, with scriptures, with miracles. There's a, there's a familiarity with conferences. We tend to go, oh, yeah, that's nice, that's nice, that's nice, and lose our sense of awe and slowly fade, and the fire's like, well, this is good enough. I've advanced to this point. It's really good enough. And, and I want to point out to you that that's a lie. So for us who are a little older and have been around the block a few times, the lie is you've reached the the level where it's good enough now. You don't need to keep stretching. You don't need to keep pressing. You don't need to keep reaching out and crying out. That's a lie. The Lord wants a legacy to where when we lay it all down at the last breath. See, you young people look at me like, dude, I'm not even thinking about my funeral. What are you even talking about? See, I'm a little closer than you, but not that much because you don't know what tomorrow will hold. You don't know how long you're going to live. I could outlive you. It's possible. We, we, we don't know. The issue is how are we living our life? Are we living it in such a way that we're making preparations right now for our funeral? This is the way that Paul looked and lived his life. This is the way Peter looked and lived his life. You remember um, on the seashore after Jesus was resurrected and he appeared to Peter and John? And he says, uh, and to the disciples, and he says to Peter, uh, dude, when when you get old, they're going to take you where you don't want to go and do to you what you don't want to happen to you. And the Bible says this he spoke of the way that Peter would glorify God in his death. Crucified upside down, we know from church history. And Peter said, what about, what about this dude? And Jesus, like he always does, goes, I'm not talking about him. I'm talking, I'm, I'm talking about you. Peter was thinking. You don't think from that moment on that that thought was going through his mind? I'm going to give my life. I think it was pretty clear, even though it wasn't specific, you're, you're going you're to die a martyr's death. You don't think that Peter was thinking from that moment, how am I going to be ready to give my life when the time comes for Jesus? He actually tells us, and we're going to get there. Um, you say this is a little bit morbid. It's, it's really not. Here's Ecclesiastes 7.2. It's better to go to the house of mourning 
than to a house of feasting. Because that is the end of every man, and the living takes it to heart. That's a wisdom from Solomon. Dude, it's better to go to a funeral service than it is to go to a party where everybody's doing the Macarena. Okay? Because this is real life, and our life, how many believe the Bible? Our life is a what? Oh, it's a marathon. It's just going to last forever and ever. You know, I mean, those of us who get a little bit older, we constantly say to each other, which is kind of crazy, but time's going by so fast. I can't believe our kids are going to my youngest daughter just turned 18 years old. And we're like looking at each other like, can you believe it? And it happens to everybody. Time flies. How many can testify like it's going faster than you thought it would? And as you keep getting older, there's like a ramp and it goes faster. Is that true? Yeah, it feels a lot faster. It's better to consider, what if we could set the trajectory of our life right now so that when we got to that place where we were going to take our last breath, we'd be like, bring it on. Yes. Yes! I've waited for this my whole life, and I've left nothing in my pockets but everything on the field. How many, how many want to live that way? Okay, I don't care if you're 10 years old, if you're 20 this applies to you. If I can get inside of your head this morning and get mindsets inside of you to where you're going to turn the trajectory of the way you think about your days and your moments in your life, then I will have succeeded. Because I want to hear you. I may have already been in heaven for 50 years when you get there, but I want to hear you when you come over going, thank you for that message because that helped me to steer my direction and not think, oh, well, I'll, I'll get more serious about that. I'm not going to think about what my funeral is going to be like. Plan it now. I'm telling you, plan it now. Here's what it looks like. Fire. This is my motto. Fire until I expire. That's my motto. I want to burn for Jesus until I take my last breath. I want to. I plan to by the grace of God. Fire. But here's what, here's what makes the fire stay. Let me, can I tell you something? This is the ingredient that we don't often talk about when we talk about fire in, in revival, fire in, in fire brands. There's a component that goes together with that that makes it last for a whole lifetime, and it's called faithfulness. It's called faithfulness. Look at um, 2 Timothy chapter 4. I want to read verse 5. This is Paul. Obviously, this is the last letter that he wrote. Very near now is his uh, martyrdom. Titus chapter 4, verse 5 says, uh, But you... I'm sorry, this is 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5. But you be sober in all things. Be alert, be awake, be on fire, be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill it. This is his advice to Timothy. Be sober in all things. That means get the fog out of your head and keep your focus clear and right. This is what's sober. How many know over and over again when Jesus is talking about the end times, what does he say to them? Be alert. Be awake. Be alert. Be awake. He says it over and over and over again, all of the gospel accounts of the end times. Be alert. Be awake. 
you got to be sober. Why? Because there's an influence that's coming that blinds us to what is really important and makes us lose our focus. Here's, here's how you plan for your funeral. You decide now what is going to be important on the day when you take your last breath. And you go that direction. Okay? Will it be important when you take your last breath if you amassed a lot of money and if you had a big house? Probably not. Will it be important when you take your last breath? If you have fame, recognition, you write a number one song, is that, is that going to be important? Probably not. Here's what's going to be important. I, w- I want to tell you because Jesus made this clear. When he said in Matthew chapter 25, talking about the time when he's going to gather together his sheep and his goats, what does he say to them? To the ones who were the sheep, what did Jesus say? Do you remember? He said, well done, good and faithful servant. Can, can I tell you right now that faithfulness is going to be the thing that matters in that day? What is faithfulness? It's being reliable, being trustworthy, being dependable, being consistent, being constant, doing what he told us to do. How many agree with that definition? Okay. That's what it means to be faithful. On that day, he didn't say, blessed are you, good and gifted servant. Good and impactful servant. Do you, I don't think Jesus is going to go in heaven. Dude, do you remember that time when you had that revival and that 21-day thing? And then, I don't think he's going to say that. He's going to say to us, did you do what I made you for? what I called you to, what I put before you, the gifting that I put inside of you. Did you utilize that for my glory, for serving the body of Christ and the larger world? Did you do what I wanted you to do? Enter in. Come faithful. Servant. Come in. Here's what we have to figure out, okay? Some of us who are younger, we might not know what all that involves. You know what? It's okay. You don't know. But there's some things that you do know, and those we need to be faithful. Here's, here's a, a word for this generation, okay? I'm not slamming it all on millennials. I love you guys in the depth of my heart. That's why I'm involved with this school. I lay down my life for you. But we have to be honest with our own shortcomings in our culture. And partly for you guys, you're a victim of our culture because my age group have been stupid. And we have conveyed to you the message that above all things, avoid suffering. Above all things, avoid that which is hurtful or painful. You don't deserve that. You shouldn't have to endure any of that. We've projected that message to you, and it's a lie. And so it makes, us hard, it, makes it hard for us sometimes to be faithful and to endure. What did Paul say to Timothy? Endure what? Endure what? Hardship. He didn't say avoid it. He said endure it. Why? Because part of being faithful for every person in this room, part of being faithful for every person in the body of Christ is enduring hardship. You can't get around it. You can't escape it. And if you try to escape it, then you forfeit faithfulness to the Lord Jesus because some things that he asks us to do are just hard. Here's the good news. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. Come on, Paul. Paul didn't know anything about hardship. Dude, he had it easy. His ministry was just so easy. 
Started out with Jesus saying, hey, I'm going to show Paul how many things he must suffer for my namesake. That's the definition of his ministry. Awesome, man. Who wants to be the Apostle Paul? God, I want to evangelize nations. I want to raise the dead. I want to do all that. Yeah, great. Just know there's a cost. There's a cost because there's a devil and there's resistance. And Jesus says, it's okay. You don't have to worry. In, in the, the letters to the seven churches, right? The second church there, Smyrna, he says, just be faithful unto death. You'll receive eternal life. That, that, that's all. Just be faithful to death. How many believe he's worthy of whatever? Yeah. How many believe that if he called on you to lay down your life, it would be a glorious thing? How many know that he does call on you to lay down your life every day? And it's a glorious thing. When you're called on to suffer for the name of Christ, 1 Peter 4.12 says, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And, and I just have to say that part of what we want when we're calling out and crying out to the Lord for his presence, we're calling out and crying out to the Lord for revival. Lord, we're calling out and crying out for you to show us your glory. And sometimes he goes, okay, it's through this situation of suffering that the spirit of glory and of God is going to rest upon you. See, here's what I would like to do. Corey mentioned this, and I've said it before. It never really preaches well at all. But the truth is that in the American church, we don't have a theology for suffering that's very good. We have a theology for being happy, which is great. But our theology for suffering is pretty weak. And if you read the New Testament, you read the Gospels, you read what Jesus said about discipleship, you read the life of the apostles and of the normal Christians, and if you read church history, quite honestly, you find the norm is for believers to suffer and to be persecuted and to have to sacrifice. That's the norm. That's the norm throughout church life and church history. So in America... Can I, can I apologize to the millennial generation that we have lied to you and we haven't told you the truth and it's made you soft and it's made you want to avoid anything that was hard? But Jesus has a way. I was raised in an upper middle class home and um, I was pretty soft. I pretty much did what I wanted to. The only hard exertion that I did much was to play sports. And when I got, uh, went to Bible college and got out, and I'm thinking, I'm going to minister now. This is the passion of my heart. And Jesus said to me, um, we have to take care of some things. You're really soft, and uh, you need to be hardened up. And so one of his ways with me was he said, I'm going to give you this business. Like, you're going to work it 60 hours a week, and there'll be 10 weeks at a time, 12 weeks at a time where you won't get paid, but you're going to work out in the hot sun, and you're going to do this, and you're going to stick with it. And 
I want to do something inside of you. It's called perseverance and fortitude. This is the Lord's process. This wasn't my choice. I remember the night so clearly. It's like it was very real to me right now. When I took, uh, I was walking out with the Lord. It's a long story and I won't get into all the details, but I had a letter with me that a guy had written uh, threatening to kill me and my guys if we ever went down the easement next to his property anyway, which was my legal easement. Anyway, I used it as a convenient excuse to the Lord and I took it out like Hezekiah took the letter and I said, Lord, you see this? And I'm, I'm weeping because we're poor. We're poor and broke. And um, it's not working out and I'm working my brains out and it's not working. And I hold that letter before the Lord and I said, Lord, you see, that it's not working. Like I thought because mama told me my whole life I could do anything I wanted to. But I can't do it. I'm a failure. And I'm crying. I'm holding that letter before the Lord. I said, you release me from this business. Let me do something else. And he spoke to my heart ever so clearly and ever so fatherly. And he said, do you want all that I have for you? I knew he was setting me up. <laughs> and I started to bawl my eyes out and cry. And I'm saying it when I'm slobbering and snot's running down my face. This is real. I said, God, you know that I do. And I can't do this anymore. And he spoke to me and he said, if you want all that I have for you, then you'll have to embrace the cross then, won't you? And I fell down on the ground and wept. My game was up. I was out there to talk him into it. I had all the reasons why. And he was like, no, that's not what I have for you. And I said, Lord. And then I got up, got my composure. I said, all I can say is, I will try if you will help me. That's all I can say. And I've told this story before, so some of you have heard it, but it's real life stuff to me. And it's part of the process that we all go through, things like this. But he here's my observation, like for you guys in this generation, can I just put this out for you? Because I love you, man. I love you guys. Like one of the biggest mistakes that I see this generation make over and over again is that when you get into a hard situation, you jump ship too fast. You jump ship too fast. You go, well, God couldn't want me here because he wants me to be happy. And he's like, I do want you to be happy on the day you take your last breath. And so we jump ship because we feel like this is too much. And, this, and the whole beauty and power of the gospel is that whatever comes before us, his grace is sufficient. It shows his greatness and his glory, and it shows us our own weakness and inability. <laughs> Praying in a prayer meeting one morning. This is, this is my testimony. I said, Lord, what am I doing? This business is a failure. What am I doing? I don't, I'm not an entrepreneur. My heart's in, in ministry, and he spoke so clearly to me, like he spoke audibly. He said, this business is a monument to your own nothingness. 
now you know what you can do without me. I said, yeah. This is where I get this. This is part of the process. And as we persevere and endure hardship and as we stick to the things that the Lord has set before us, and don't, don't be so quick to jump ship. I'm not saying he never wants to transition us, but I'm saying our default, yes, I love you. I'm, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you to follow the plan of the Lord for your life. Our default is much too quick to jump ship and move and do something else and just rationalize it all over the place. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I know the Lord didn't want me there because that was just, and the Lord's gone. You know what he does? Like the Israelites in the wilderness, go around the track again. If you fail the test in first grade, you're going to get the test in first grade again. You're going to get it again. You're going to get it again. And, and if I could help to instill inside of the people of God the mindset like, it's okay to suffer hardship. It's okay to have hard times. It's okay to struggle. It's really okay. Those are the times that we learn how to trust God. Paul gives the testimony. He's a pretty tough dude. He's way tougher than you and me. If the thorn in the flesh in his life was that intense that he begged God three times to remove it from him, it was pretty bad. And the Lord said, uh-uh. Yeah, but Lord, the messengers from Satan, the Bible says that, you know, to buffet him. The Lord said, no, but I'm going to use that to keep you from being lifted up in pride. You need a reminder to recognize that it ain't about you and you ain't nothing. It's all about the power of the gospel and the glory of the Son of God. It's not about Paul's ministry incorporated international about Jesus. So Paul says this. This is how he viewed this. This rocks me. I don't know if it rocks you, but it rocks me. And I ponder this a lot. This is how the dude viewed his life. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. <laughs> my life, Jesus, is an offering for you. And when time comes for the grand finale, when I'm going to be beheaded, church history says is what happened to him, it's going to be like a drink offering. Poured out around your altar. Everything that you sowed into me, all of the precious oil and wine, everything precious. How many believe Paul was pretty gifted? Come on, people. This dude was amazingly gifted, okay? We're going to take all that and I'm going to pour it out at the altar. And it's going to be a fragrant offering to the Lord. Beautiful. How would it be like to view your life like that before Jesus? Instead of viewing Jesus as being the one who's going to self-actualize us and make us feel good about ourselves. Yeah, I, I, I thought that would go over about like that. 
See, if, if we think like Christians, what if Jesus had an army, a body full of people that had this kind of mindset and said, what is your life like? I'm, I'm an offering for the Lord. Like I'm a whole burnt offering. My whole life is for him. And at the end of it, when it's all over, I'm going to be poured out like a drink offering before Jesus. Everything left for him. What would it be like if he had a body like that? This guy burned. How many know Paul burned? He burned his whole life with fire. But he was also faithful because he didn't shy away from the cause. How many wish I would change my sermon subject right now? Just change it to something happy, 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 happy. Okay, listen. This is the, 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 the truth of Scripture. The mindsets that we carry through our life determine how we're going to finish the course. Okay? If I could get seeds into some people's minds, like, this is what we were made for. See, if we really believe our own jargon, like, this life is a vapor, it's here and gone, it's like nothing. But eternity goes on and on and on and on and on, forever and ever, and it's incomprehensible to us because we live inside of time. The trade-off for what is laid on the altar here is nothing. It's zero, not I. It's not even. Paul says. Paul puts it like this in Second Corinthians four. The light, momentary afflictions, like being beaten with rods, like being stoned, like being left for dead, like being hunted, like always having a contract out on him, like being opposed everywhere he went. All of that stuff light momentary affliction is not even worthy to be compared to the eternal weight of glory that he's producing in us. Now, if you're coming to the school, you know what kind of stuff you're going to hear. <laughs> you know why? This is what equips. This is why Paul encourages Timothy. Enter hardship. You're, you're a soldier, man. You're a soldier. Come on. Get out there. You're a soldier. You're not a Girl Scout. You're a soldier. You're not selling bonbons and you got your feelings hurt. You're a soldier. Endure hardness. Lifelong legacy of fire. Drink offering. Faithfulness. See, Paul talked about his departure here. And the way that he talks about it is, I'm going to be poured out. He says in verse um, 7, if I can find it, I fought the good fight. Fought. I finished the course. Finished it. And I've kept the faith. Those words talk about faithfulness. No matter what the obstacle, no matter what came in the way, no matter how hard it was, I just kept moving. See, here's, here's the mantra of the believers in Christ. Just keep moving, keep moving, keep moving, keep moving, for the grace of God will be with you and will sustain you and will strengthen you. I was reading recently, again, the book of Lamentations. You guys are like, what? No wonder you're the way you are, dude. How many know the book of Lamentations is God-breathed? Okay, four of us know that. All scripture, every scripture is breathed out by God, right? 
So Lamentations is God breathed. So I'm reading through Lamentations again because it is the word of God and there's something amazing in there. And, and I'm reading through that and it, it struck me. So there's like a, a few verses in there that we all probably will recognize and the rest of it not at all. But there's some amazing, profound verses right after that that I want to point out to you. But I want to just give you the background of Lamentations real quick just to give us a paradigm for this whole issue of perseverance. Okay? That, that is not a curse word. Like it is, it is on the resume of every believer of Jesus Christ. Perseverance. So here's what happened in Lamentations. Jeremiah had prophesied to the nation, to the southern kingdom for years. You guys have to get rid of your idols. You have to repent. If you don't do it, you're going to go into captivity. Judgment's going to come. He prophesied year after year. They rejected him year after year after year. Finally, the Babylonians come in, and they take over. They plunder the kingdom. They literally, they literally nuke it. They took all the treasure out. They took everybody's property. They kicked them out. They took many people into captivity. The young men that were strong, they killed them. They raped the women. They took all the plunder. And they took them in different phases of captivity to Babylon. And Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations is sitting down in the street looking at the burnt piles of rubble. And you're like, that's really morbid. But there's powerful truth in it. I want to just give you a flavor, if, if, you can, if you can just go there with me for just a second. I want to just give you a flavor of this book. This is um, chapter 1. I'm just going to read you some verses. Um, the book starts out with this exclamation. How? It's, it's a Hebrew word of grief that's expressed. And in, in, in our, just to give you a flavor of what that might mean, this is how the book starts out. It's like saying this, oh my God, my God, my God. It's like that. He's sitting there looking at the destruction. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. She's become like a widow who was once great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a forced laborer. She weeps bitterly in the night and her tears are on her cheeks and she has none to comfort her among all her lovers. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her and they have all become her enemies. All her people groan, seeking bread. They have given their precious things for food to restore their lives themselves. See, O Lord, and look, for I am despised. For these things I weep, my eyes run down with water, because far from me is a comforter, one who can restore my soul. My children are desolate because the enemy has prevailed. The elders of the daughters of Zion sit on the ground. They're silent. They have thrown dust on their heads. They've girded themselves with sackcloth. The virgins of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. My eyes fail because of tears. My spirit is greatly troubled. My heart is poured out on the earth because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. When little ones and infants faint in the streets of the city, they say to their mothers, where is grain and wine? As they faint like a wounded man in the streets of the city as their life is poured out on their mother's bosom. On the ground and the streets lie young and old. My virgins and my young men have fallen by the sword. You've slain them in the day of your anger. You've slaughtered, not sparing. And then chapter 3, if you want to look at this. In the middle of this, you know, I picture Judea after the 
the invasion and other. To me, it's like pictures that I've seen of Nagasaki and Hiroshima after the atomic bombs were dropped in Japan in World War II. Just the desolation and the utter shock of people sitting out in the streets and dead bodies and just a horrendous scene. And in the middle of that, in the middle of that pile of ash, there's this amazing diamond that Jeremiah sees and he starts to speak about it in verse 21 of chapter 3. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. How can you say that in view of what you're looking at? The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I have hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the person who seeks Him. It's good that He waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. Verse 27, so profound. It's good for a man that he should bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone and be silent since he has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. Perhaps there's hope. This is an amazing scene. Jeremiah's looking and he's going, dude, in the midst of all this destruction and desolation, God, that you've brought rightfully so in judgment, your compassion, your faithfulness is great. See, here, here, here's, here's the encouragement out of the book of Lamentations. No matter what the desolation looks like, there's a God who is faithful and he is a redeemer. And even though they sinned and brought it on themselves, he will come and take the ashes and he did this and rebuild it and make it better than it was before because he's a God of loving kindness. His loving kindnesses are new every day. His faithfulness is new every day. There's no hardship that we can ever face where the faithfulness of God does not trump the situation. Sorry, you guys. Here's the message translation of verse 27 and 20 through, 20 through 31. It's a good thing when you're young, to stick it out through the hard times. When life is heavy and hard to take, go off by yourself, enter the silence, bow in prayer, don't ask questions, wait for hope to appear, don't run from trouble, take it full face. The worst is never the worst. Why? Because the master won't ever walk out and fail to return. Do we, I know we, we all think that we've gone through some hard times. But here's what I want to say. Whatever the Lord calls us to go through, His faithfulness and His grace is more than enough. More than enough. I know a lot of people have gone through some hard and dark places. I want to say His faithfulness is more than enough. Probably none of us have experienced this where we've lost our whole country and everything in it. In the midst of that, Jeremiah sitting on the road looking at the desolation goes your faithfulness is great your compassions and your mercy are new every day I think it's awesome Acts chapter 20 if you'll turn there Acts 20 
This is Paul. This is at the end of his life as well. He said he's planning for his own funeral here again. This is Acts 20, verse 17. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they'd come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time. Please notice that phrase. I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with what? Tears and with trials, which came upon me through the what? The plots of the Jews. So can, can I make a, an observation from this? To Paul, going through the tears and the trials was part of serving the Lord. Do you agree that that is true? That was part of serving the Lord. Um, verse 20, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And this, this, this rocks me because I'm, I'm just telling you that he had this paradigm in his own heart. And now, behold, bound by the Spirit, the, there, there was a gripping inside of him by the Holy Spirit that he calls being bound. I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. How many are okay with that? What if the Lord leads you into a place and you don't know what's going to happen there? Is that, is that okay? Is that okay? Is that okay if you don't know what your 401k is going to look like? Is it okay if you don't know what your money is going to look like? Is that okay if he's leading you somewhere? Here's the question. Is it okay? You go, well, brother, I, look, this is about ministers. I'm not in the ministry. And my answer to that would be, well, I thought you were a Christian. Because all Christians are in the ministry. He gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, right? So we're all in the work of ministry. We all have these things to do. This is not a morbid message. If you know me, I'm, I'm not a morbid person. I'm actually quite happy and sometimes even silly. But the reality is we're all going to deal with eternity and we're all going to have a funeral unless Jesus comes first. Either way, it's still going to be short. How can we be ready? So here's what Paul says. I'm bound in the Spirit. I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen there, except the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. So how many would be okay with the Lord saying, this is my plan for you. I want you to go to Jerusalem, but when you get there, bonds and afflictions are going to await you. Is that okay? No, I'm just asking. Is it okay? Okay, nobody said anything so far. So let's, let's ponder then. Because you know what? I don't want you to glibly say it's okay. But I want you to say to Jesus, it's okay. You go, this, bro, you're totally missing. Like, this is Paul. You're totally missing it. This is Paul. He's very unique. No, not to be repeated. This was his calling. I get that. But it's also every one of our callings. Because he said to Timothy, endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. The command to perseverance is the one that's repeated most often in the letters to the seven churches. Persevere. 
be faithful unto death. Those are commands to believers. Stick with it. Don't give up. Don't quit. My grace will be sufficient for you. But Jesus is hard and it hurts. And he goes, I know. I was crucified. I know. But for the joy that was set before me, I endured the cross, despising the shame. And he was exalted to the right hand. Father, that day's, here's his promise, that day's coming, that day is coming, that day is coming. Perseverance, faithfulness. So verse 24, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. I don't consider my life of any account as dear to myself. I don't consider my life of any account as dear to myself. I don't consider my life as any account as dear to myself in order that I might finish my course. Like, Jesus, faithfulness to your call and to your purpose in my life is more important than my life itself. Listen, this is the radicalness of the gospel, and I'm seeing the Son of God. You know of the early apostles, most of them were martyred, right? You know that. You know in the early church, like, thousands and hundreds of thousands were martyred, right? You, you know, we celebrate and dance around the song that may the Lamb who was slain receive the full reward of his suffering. We celebrate the Moravian missionaries that were sent out to minister in the West Indies. But do you know that 29 out of the first 33 were martyred? It's not morbid. <laughs> I know you guys, this feels heavy. It feels out of place in our culture. But like, this is the value and the beauty of who the Lord Jesus is that we would count the fulfilling of what he's called us to do as more important than our life itself. What could he do? We pray for revival that it would impact culture. And he's asking, where's that spirit? But Jesus, don't send me somewhere where I don't make at least 45000 a year. Don't send me somewhere where I'm going to be rejected and persecuted and hurt. And my feelings hurt. I can't stand how my feelings hurt. I get it. I don't like it either. But, but I'm asking the question, like, how do we finish our course in a way that when we take our last breath at our funeral, you, you know, at your funeral, there's going to be lots of people there that really like you, and they're going to say some things about you that are true and some things that are not true, because they love you. But here's the question. What is heaven going to see when we take our last breath? We're laying in a box or whatever. What is heaven going to say and see? Like, what is the Father going to say? Like, what I entrusted 
them with, like they laid it all down. That's beautiful. How many think that any person who's been martyred in history is reg regrets it now in heaven? They're like, Jesus, I just had to talk to you about something else, didn't I? I mean, you really, like that really messed up my hair when they took my head off. Like I was. How many, how many, seriously, how many think that the CT studs of the world who were sports heroes and millionaires in their day and gave all of it away and went out to be missionaries to leave everything on the field in Africa and in China? You, you know what motivated CT stud? This is, this is the kind of guy he was. He had been a missionary in China. He came back to England to talk to the students in the school to, get, to recruit them for missions. And he saw a poster that said, cannibals want missionaries. He's like, dude, I am going there. <laughs> His motto was, some people want to live within the sound of church and chapel bells, but I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. <laughs> I'm saying, is that not the same spirit? And so... It puts things in perspective as far as our life and our daily stuff that we struggle with. I get all of that. Trust me, I get it. Seven children, really demanding business, lots of stuff at the church. Like My life is like my brain blows up every day. But are we seeing clearly? And if we believe our own jargon that this life is really short, and that eternity is really, really, really long. And that Jesus is really, really, really worthy. Is that, is that how we view our life? I mean, do we see ourselves, how do we see our end game in our life? I mean, do we see ourselves on the golf course? Do we see ourselves, how, how do we see that? How do we see our days? How do we see it playing out at the end? And, and I, I just want to encourage us, like, to end up, when you take your last breath, full of fire and full of faithfulness to where the Lord Jesus looks at you and goes, you know what? That was super hard, wasn't it, Paul, with that thorn in the flesh, dude? That was tough, wasn't it? But my grace was sufficient, wasn't it? Wasn't that awesome? You remember when you had to escape out of the city? Oh, yeah, out of the window, like they were going to kill me that night. Oh, yeah. Everywhere I went, they had the long knives. You remember when you were beaten and left for dead because they thought you were dead, you were so bloodied and beat up. Oh, yeah, that really hurt. I mean, how many of us believe that Paul regrets any of those things that he endured for the Lord Jesus? But for us, it's really hard to get into the category of our brain like, Jesus, it's really okay for me to be inconvenienced or to be rejected or to be laughed at or to be hurt, whatever it means. But if we could get a mindset inside of us that he's worthy and that I belong to him and that he bought me with his own blood, that I am not my own. How many ever look at yourself in the mirror? I do this sometimes. You say, you're really strange. I know. It's okay. The Lord loves me. <laughs> I don't know if he likes it or not, but I'm not my own. You're not your own. 
You don't belong to you. This day is not about you. This day is about the one that created you for his own glory and grace and goodness. Get out there and display the goodness and the glory and the grace of Jesus. So they don't think you're intense anymore, bro. This is real. This is the gospel. I know in America, we put on a little show and we have to pad every single thing about it. But the reality is, it's all about eternity. And it's all about the glory of the Son of God. And it's about his gospel going forth. And it's about his kingdom advancing. And it's about, at the end of the day, every tribe and tongue and kindred and nation gathering around the throne in heaven and worshiping the Lamb of God. You're worthy. And no one who ever made any sacrifice or persevered or did hard things will ever regret it throughout eternity. In fact, they'll rejoice in it. You Mark my words, we're going to go to the Lord and say, Lord, thank you so much for giving me grace to not quit and give up because I would have missed your purpose for my life. <laughs> I had this huge struggle about having more children. Yeah, I've told you the story. I mean, a real struggle, hard, when the Lord dealt with us about having a large family. Like I just, it, I just wasn't feeling it. And I didn't have any money either. And I'm thinking, Lord, do you know how much college costs? Do you know how much braces cost? Like all seven of my kids had to have braces, two of them twice. It's true. I'm like, dude, I can't even afford. We buy powdered milk now. Do you get that, Lord? Powdered milk. We get our food at the bent and dent. Like there's no money here. And he, you know what? He wasn't moved by that. He just wasn't moved by it. And I wrestled with him and finally submitted to his heart. And after my son Landon was born, you saw him up here. He and his wife are now going to be missionaries in Manchester to minister to Muslims. He has a master's degree in Muslim studies. And their passion is to evangelize Muslims. <laughs> after he was born, I was walking out on the sidewalk just saying to the Lord, God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for changing my heart because I almost didn't go through with this. And he spoke to my heart and he said this, if you would not have obeyed me in this, you would have missed my plan for your life. And I just about fainted. But you know what? I could have convinced you, probably all of you in this room, that's a stupid thing to do. But the Lord was unconvinced. He's like, this is what I'm telling you to do. This is what I'm telling you to do. You do this. Like there's no money, no prospects for the future, Business is failing. Uh, we're already so busy with what we're doing with the church and uh, our other two kids. Um, just a whole long list. And you guys would have all agreed with me. You would have put your arm around me and go, brother, you're right. I mean, there's no way. That just doesn't make any sense. I mean, that, that's what my parents said. But Jesus said, you know what? I'm a little bit bigger than your situation and I think I know the future a little bit better than you and I know what my purposes for you are and if you will listen to me and submit to me even if you don't know where you're going even if you don't understand how you're going to do it even if you don't think you have the provision even if you don't think you have the skills all of those are me I will do what you can't do and then I will be glorified 
and everybody's going to know I did something here, not that you were brilliant. No, because I was a knucklehead. And the Lord knew it. And he goes, I like knuckleheads. If they'll listen to me. Now listen. This is a story of my lifetime after time. I'm just telling you. Like, I'm no great martyr this or that. I'm not trying to promote myself. I'm just telling you. I've been walking this way for a while. And if everybody out there who's been walking this way for a little while, you have stories like mine. Where you can go, man, I struggled with that. I didn't want to do that. And the Lord said, do it. And like, we're like, there's no way. And it hurt. And it was hard. And there's lots of times with our children where we said to each other, and I, you know, I get home from work and I said to her, baby, I, I don't want to do this anymore. And she goes, well, I don't want to do this anymore either with all these kids. I'm like, well, it's a little late for that. And the Lord says, it's okay if you don't want to, you're going to anyway. That's his answer. That's his grace because he says, if you'll just lean into me and turn your eyes away from your situation, like you will see that my grace is sufficient even in the midst of ashes and rubble. There's a diamond. God is faithful. He is great in His faithfulness, and His mercies are new every day. His grace is sufficient. But here's the thing we have to decide. God, am I going to go your way, or am I going to figure this out in my own brain and go my own way? And Honestly, Folks, I'm, like, I'm not even preaching my message. I'm just rambling on this one point. I just feel like if we can get this one thing in our heart and in our mind, it's beautiful. Can I tell you there's freedom in releasing everything to Jesus? There's freedom in that. There's freedom in saying to... I, I remember one time in prayer where I was struggling over stuff. And um, I feel like the Lord, he freed me. I felt like he just broke a big piece of of desiring the um, applause of men. I, I, he just broke it off of my heart. And I felt so free. I was like, God, you're, you're freeing me from my need for applause and my need for affirmation from people. Like, that kind of stuff he does in our life as we walk through the process and get in his presence. Here's, here's, here's the thing. Like, I want, I want to change your mindset. I want to get inside of your head. And I want you to think real hard about what it's going to look like when people are standing around your casket saying nice things about you and what heaven is going to see and what heaven is going to say. I want you to think real hard about that. This is not foolish or futile. This is going to happen to everybody in this room in a really short time, even if it's 70 years. It's really short. question is, how are we going to be ready? I want us to live a life where we're on fire, but where Jesus says to us when we enter in, that fire has been stewarded through years of obedience. That fire has been cultivated through years of choices that nobody else could see. Years of experience and years of choices that only the Lord saw. That's what keeps your fire burning. That's what keeps your fire burning. That's what keeps your passion alive. That's what makes you be able to, at that last moment, say, God, I've left it all. I'm now being poured out as a drink offering. There's nothing left to pour out. Everything that you've given me, I've poured it out. I've given it the best that I possibly can. That's a glorious way. Come on. You guys, when you come to my funeral, I pray. 
Well, that's what heaven sees when my body's laying there. And you go, man, can't believe he's not here anymore. <laughs> well, then you, 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 you think I can get wild dancing around here. You ain't seen nothing. You, mean, you, you don't think that when I see the Son of God face to face, I'm not going to run and get as close as I can to him and fall at his feet and like, Jesus, I'm never letting go of your feet, dude. You're the passion and the burning fire of my soul since you rescued me when I was 15 years old and took me out of my perversion and my drug addiction and all the mess that I lived in. And you changed me and I forever belong to you. You don't think that's going to happen? You better believe it is. He said in the book of Revelation that those who overcome, I'm going to make them a pillar in my temple. And then we find out later there is no temple for the lamb is the temple. You know what that means? I'm going to be that pillar right next to him. And I'm not going to be moved. You don't move a pillar. I'm like, Jesus, here I am. Like, dude, your blood has washed me. I just want to gaze at you forever. If you want me to do anything, just tell me I'll do it right now. This is what I was born for. This is what I was made for. This is what it's all about. Everything that I might have given up or suffered is dung. Come on. Come on, Paul. Educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Dude was educated. He was smart. Dung. Prominent among all of the Jews, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they all knew and respected him. He said as far as keeping the law of Moses, he was unexcelled. Nobody else was better. Dung. Good money he made, I'm sure. Dung. He said everything compared, listen, compared to the surpassing value of knowing. Christ Jesus, my Lord, I count it all as dumb. You know what you see in every magazine and in every storefront in this nation is you see piles of dung that people want to say, this is worth giving your life for. Dude, if you could be that cool dude, you could rap, you could be wealthy, you could this or that. Jesus said, dung. It's not worth anything. What's worth giving our life for is the one who bought us and who owns us, that we're going to be with him forever and ever. And I want to tell you something. Nothing else, nothing else matters at all compared to that. Can you sacrifice, bro? Can you, like, wow, you really sacrificed. This is David Livingstone, pioneer missionary in Africa. He was the pioneer who blazed the trail where they cut down the trees and the weeds one at a time, blazing through there. Dude, he suffered greatly. There was no civilization there. You didn't have a modem there to plug into. Like, there was no water there. We're talking about pioneer missionaries where every day your life is on the line. He came back to England. Speaking to the students at Oxford. And they said to him, Dr. Livingstone, like you gave up your career to go be a pioneer missionary in Africa for all of these years. And now you're coming back. Like, how could you sacrifice so deeply, like the price that you paid? Livingstone said, What are you even talking about? Like, in light? what Jesus Christ did for me rescued my life from eternal hell 
took me in as his own, filled me with the Spirit, gives me the grace every day to do everything that he calls me to do. This is Livingstone now. I have never suffered. It's, it's, it's all a matter of perspective. I've never, he said, don't talk to me about suffering. What are you even talking about? The lamb who was slain is worthy. He's worthy. What would it be like if we could even get a little bit of this mindset inside of our heart and head and live our life in the light of the worthiness of the lamb and the greatness of the sacrifice. What would the church be like? I don't believe we would ever have to talk about revival again. I don't believe we would ever have to talk about evangelism again. I don't believe we would ever have to talk about prayer again because that would be our life. He's worthy. Guys, I love you with all of my heart. This is true. And I want you to wrestle with it. I want you to wrestle with it. I, I don't want you to leave here and, and just blow this off because that, be that would be a mistake. I want you to wrestle with this in your heart and in your mind. Go before the Lord and say, Lord, how should my life change in the light of the worthiness and the holiness of who you are? How should my daily decisions change? How should my mindset change? Bow your heads with me. Father, we need you. God, I cry out to you that you would help us to see the worthiness of the Son of God again, afresh and anew. Lord, take from us all of the low and false notions of who you are and of what the gospel is and replace them with the truth, with the reality that Paul saw with the reality that he lived in because it's just normal in light of seeing you as you are and in light of seeing the greatness of your sacrifice. Father, I cry out to you that you would, in your mercy and in your grace, that you would instill inside of each one of us a different mindset, Lord, that you would not let us leave this place the way that we came in. It's so easy to be so consumed with our own stuff in this generation, Lord, and I pray that you would deliver us from that and your mercy because it is merciful for us to see things as they really are. I pray, Father, for your church across the nations and the world that you would give us again a greater vision of the glory and the greatness and the majesty and the wonderful no words, is there, of the Son of God. God, we've been blind. We've been fuzzy. We haven't seen well. We struggle with so many things that are unworthy and shouldn't have our time. 
Lord, could you change our mindsets? Could you instill in us a deeper vision of you? Make us the army that you dream of. Make us the bride that you dream of. That's all in. That's all in. That's all in. And Lord, we say now, whatever you say, we will do it by your grace. Not by our own strength, but by your grace. Whatever you want, Lord, that's what we want. Whatever that means to our lives as far as inconvenience or sacrifice, Lord, we say we gladly lay that down because you are worthy.